Hello, faithful and amazing listeners of Modern Manhood. Sermon here. Last week, I mentioned that I was going to continue my deep dive in how the media dedicates its time on talking about masculinity and gender. But I changed my mind. You know, it's one of the privileges I have for creating and maintaining this podcast is that I can change my mind whenever I want to. It doesn't mean that I won't continue to talk about this. It's actually one of the reasons why I wanted to take a little bit of a break. Um, there's actually two reasons why I wanted to take a break. So one is that I need some specific guests for masculinity in media. And I'm looking at you, fellow journalist. If you listen to Modern Manhood and if you have a friend who listens to Modern Manhood that is a journalist that would want to come on the show to talk about masculinity and the media, please give me a shout. Email me at herman at nextgenmen.ca. So it's G-E-R-M-A-N at nextgenmen.ca. If you want to be on the show, we would love to have you um, just because I need some expert advice and see what uh, what the media looks like in 2019. So if you are interested in being on Modern Manhood, please send me a line at G-E-R-M-E-N at nextgenmen.ca. Or you can just go to modernmanhood.ca. All my emails and my socials are there too. The second big reason is that we had an awesome Wolfpack last time. It's actually our one-year anniversary of Wolfpack here in Edmonton. And, uh, you know, Wolfpack's been going around much more for much longer than one year. Uh, but in Edmonton, this is where I am. Uh, we celebrated our one year anniversary and we celebrated by talking about how work has a gendered lens to it. Uh, our big topic this, that month was the gendered world of work. Now, this is either through the careers that we choose or to the trouble that we give to men and women who are not working their quote unquote traditional work roles. So we wanted to hear from the people that have experienced both sides of the coin. So men who have not went onto the traditional uh, work roles that men usually do. And same thing with women who don't go to the quote unquote traditional work roles that they usually end up doing. And we wanted to hear from them what it was like to do that and to hear about the gritty knowledge that they have to be in those roles. Because this is something that happens in our day-to-day life. And this is something that's really important that we, when we talk about gender and masculinity. Because this is Modern Manhood. Modern Manhood is brought to you by Next Gen Men and the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV. If you want to support Next Gen Men, empowering young men, and helping to shape the future of inclusivity in your community, please go to patreon.com slash nextgenmen and consider giving us, you know, $2, $3, $5, whatever it is. If you would like to help out Next Gen Men, please do so at patreon.com slash nextgenmen, like these people have, like Jaina Sticka and Ryan Valley, who have uh, donated uh, to the cause. So if you want to do the same thing, please go to patreon.com slash nextgenmen. As you know, I'm one of the hosts of the Wolfpack here in Edmonton. Uh, I have been involved with Wolfpack for about a year now here in Edmonton, and it's honestly one of my favorite times of the month uh, when we get to go to a place and hear storytellers talk about their experiences in regards to a specific topic. This month, we picked the gender world of work, which in regards talks about how gender affects our daily life in and around our work. 
we pick the storytellers to provide us experiences uh, of their life around work when they work in a non-traditional work environment. So, for example, we were trying to look for um, males who were in nurturing roles or we were looking for uh, women who were in trades or who were in engineering. Um, we had three amazing speakers this month. Uh, one was a female engineer, one was a, a female tradesperson, and one was a male social worker. And so we're going to go through in this episode, hearing those storytellers and hearing what they have said in Wolfpack. Um, and like I mentioned before, and the last time we did a live Wolfpack special is that I didn't want to record what the people were saying, maybe we'll do that in one of the episodes, is to actually record what a table conversation actually sounds like, because I think that's also important. I just don't have the technology to do that right now, but I maybe will in the in the near future. Uh, but at the same time, I do have the technology to actually record what the storytellers were saying. So hopefully this will generate some discussion in your thought, in your brain. The first person I wanted to introduce was Michael Hoyt. He is a male social worker here in the city of Edmonton, um, and he wanted to share his experience of starting out in the social work industry and also share his experience in the work that he was doing when he first started out. Um, not so much about the stereotypes that he played, but also a lot more to talk about the community development work that he uh, logged into. So lo and behold, this is Michael Hoyt. that I brought some friends along with me tonight. These are the men's shedders here. There's a group of men who come together in order to, uh, to learn better how to uh, develop healthy relationships and, and to talk about health while doing projects of different kinds. So I, I brought them along and I just want to thank them for accompanying me here and providing me with some support. That's always welcomed at times like this. I learned about uh, my opportunity to have the stage this afternoon, just this morning, or just this evening, just this morning. So this is really going to be storytelling, because I'm, I'm not going to dig up any facts or anything like that, but I'm really going to recall on or recollect on some of my experiences as a man in the working field. Uh, and I have a particular story in mind, so it's, it's, it's somewhat circumscribed, and I don't have to go off on uh, too many tangents, which is going to be beneficial to all of us, I think, here. So I'm a social worker. I do work with the city of Edmonton. Social work is a profession that has about 80% of, uh, uh, of all social workers are, uh, would identify as female, 20% is male. So I'm in a, I'm in a minority group whenever I, I arrive at the office. And when I got to work today, I was in fact the only man in the office for quite a while and six of my colleagues uh, working there, but uh, uh, me with the unique male experience of being there. So what's that all about? Well, I've been waiting for a long time to have this conversation, I think, although I never really formally in my mind thought about how I would go about doing it. I work on the Gender-Based Violence and Prevention Initiative with the City of Edmonton, and in particular, my role is engaging men and boys in violence prevention work. So I'm immersed in this kind of thinking and experiential uh, milieu all day long, every day. And so I have a long time to think about these things. But I wanted to take you back to the very beginning for me. What, when I do my work, or when I make presentations, I am generally... Uh, uh, thoughtful about making the, the following statement here. As a man, I'm in debt to women who have long been leaders in the movement for teaching me and challenging me to learn the difference between power over and power with others. So in my line of work, working with women who are far more experienced in uh, understanding oppression, understanding the way in which um, are, we're socialized and, and uh, politically organized to uh, 
have power over others, uh, how that works. And that has been a shaping experience for me uh, since my early years. So power over or power with has been an understanding that has really formed my work for, for a long period of time. Uh, and social work, I think, clearly is a, a, a all about emancipa emancipation, right? It's all about trying to understand the ways in which we need to free ourselves from uh, uh, the shackles of uh, whether they're historical or uh, masculine or cultural or, or political domination, learning to understand that and freeing ourselves from those. Well, I get that now. I didn't get it uh, when I began my career about 30 years ago. And I began my, my career in corrections. Uh, in particular, I was working in the area of uh, forensic psychology. So I was working in a facility that provided uh, counseling services to those that were in trouble with the uh, criminal justice system. And at that time, that young age, I desperately wanted to work uh, and run an assertiveness training program. Assertiveness training was the panacea to all of our problems back about 25 years ago in, in the social work field or the, psych, the field I was working in. So I desperately wanted to run a program like that. And I wanted to run it with guys because I thought there must be a lot of guys out there who probably having difficulty just saying no when offered an opportunity to engage in, in some sort of a crime, right? Peer pressure and things like that seemed to me to be a, a huge issue. So I walked up to the director who said, what would you like to be doing in the next year in your work? And I said, I want to run an assertiveness training program and I want to run it with guys who I think are affected by peer pressure. And he said, great idea, Mike. Don't really need it at this particular time though. What we do need, however, is somebody that's going to fill in with that group at the back there, that group of shoplifters. We need somebody that can run a support group. It could be like an assertiveness training program if you wanted, but it's with the shoplifters that we need you uh, to engage. So uh, that's where we're going to assign you. Now, what do you know about shoplifters demographically? They tend to be women. And this group was entirely composed of women who had been caught uh, and convicted for shoplifting. So off I went to run this particular group, sat down with all these women and wondered, what am I going to say to them? How am I going to be of any help? It's a correctional setting. I have to instruct them how to get on with a good life. Let's see how this works out. And then the education began. But the education was primarily towards me, uh, and I think far less towards those women, because the women were teaching about their life experiences. This is before we had uh, perpetrator domestic violence programs uh, were not well developed. We certainly weren't very sophisticated in our understanding of uh, uh, the domestic lives of the women that we were seeing in, inside that clinic. They gave me a lesson. And the lesson was this, that a lot of them were living in the most horrific of oppressive situations faced with family violence uh, um, uh, uh, all, of all kinds, whether it's uh, in, in a marital relationship or uh, uh, related by the head of the household onto, onto the children and, and so on and so forth. They were faced with horrible oppression. And the shoplifting was probably one of the most adaptive things that they were doing to make their lives a bit more livable. And they were doing things like stealing uh, food, if necessary, because they weren't getting a paycheck from their husbands to, to feed the kids. Or they were stealing trinkets and things that kind of in, in some way made their lives a bit more palatable, or they were professional thieves who were just stealing in order to provide for an income for, for, uh, uh, for themselves or, or perhaps for a family as well. That's a very different situation than the one I thought I was going to be going into where I'd be instructing these women on, on how they could live a better life and stand up to uh, oppression, although it was about standing up to oppression at that particular time. Here's the story that, that changed my life, and, and it's fed all my relationships uh, work-wise since then. I happened upon, I think the Fringe was actually running at that time, and the city of Edmonton had a, a booth. And in that booth, uh, they were talking about the work they do in community development. And there was a quote there from a woman. 
That's the woman there. She changed my life. That's Lilla Watson. You recognize Lilla? Anybody here? Lilla's an activist. She's an Aboriginal activist from Australia. And she made the following comment uh, that's been off-quoted uh, when somebody came to, uh, to work with her to help uh, address uh, some of the injustices that were happening to Aboriginals, uh, Aboriginal people in Australia. She said, you know, if you're coming here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you're coming here because your liberation is somehow bound up with my liberation, then we can work together. And let's, let's see what we can do about that. And it was that quote that enabled me to see a way that I could begin to work with women shoplifters, right? I had to look for not only the ways in which they were oppressed, but in the ways in which I was oppressed and that we could work together to find some way of freeing ourselves from those, uh, those limitations, those, uh, uh, those shackles, if you were. And the shackles, of course, were the ideas around how we construct our, our, the boxes we get put in as men as women. It's, it's those patriarchal driven ideas about how we should conduct ourselves that uh, uh, denied women the right to have a voice in, in, in relationships, denied them the freedom to go in and uh, find work as easily as I could find. And it was the same messages for guys, right? That same box that I, I needed to be in a leadership role in, in my domestic relationships. And I needed to make sure that the women in my lives were uh, uh, towing the line and if we can come together and, and recognize those shackles that are around both of us, then we can work together in a way that doesn't allow, that doesn't take me to a position of trying to lead this group of women, these human beings who are faced with horrible oppressions, trying to fix them and, and tell them how they ought to live, live, live their lives. And it enabled them a way to have a voice and to begin to educate me and what I could do as a social worker to change the world and, and, and make it a more palatable place. Now, those principles work very well in the shoplifting program. I swear to you, they work very well in any work situation that we happen to be in. And it requires a different headset in, in that situation. So now it's one of entering into dialogue when, whenever we're in a workplace. It's an, in a situation of listening to women when they come to a table and, and speak and recognize that they're speaking from their their lived experience, their wisdom, and it's important that we capture that learned wisdom and experience if we're going to advance at all as a, as a community. So I, I was very grateful to those, uh, those women for uh, uh, giving me a different path that I could walk in, in terms of my work in, in, with them, but also down the road and all the work that I've taken on since then. What I think it's done is it's helped me to, to recognize stereotypes and individuals and dist distinguish between those two and to recognize that when I'm interacting with somebody in, in a room, I'm act interacting with that individual person, not with their stereotype. And that opens me up and softens me and calls on me to ask questions and, and to uh, become uh, uh, curious and, and uh, genuinely intrigued by their life experience and what they have to bring to a situation, both in terms of the questions they're asking and in the knowledge that they have. Uh, it defeats that uh, terrible practice of mansplaining because there's no room for it if, if you recognize that we're all individuals in the room and all of us have a lived experience that's rich and valuable. It enables us to, to weather those, um, those memes like uh, uh, men too fragile or uh, you know those, those memes, right, that, that, that in, in ways stereotype men as well. It, it allows us to, to live in a, in a space of curiosity uh, that I think benefits the workplace, benefits our personal lived experience. Uh, so that's the place that I want to take you, I, I think, in terms of my lived experience. Little Watson uh, does a lot 
for me, and, and I think she can do a lot for all of us if we just sit back and realize that we could all be working together on our own, on our collective liberation, as well as our individual liberations in, in whatever workspace we happen to find ourselves. Thank you. I want to repeat the quote that um, Michael highlighted through his speech. Um, it was from the community developer Lila Watson in Australia. She mentions, if you're coming here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you're coming here because your liberation is tied up to my liberation, then we can work together. Kind of an important speech in regards to how we can work together with different genders to try to liberate ourselves and working with true equity in helping us be the best people that we can be. Uh, and I think it's also very important to talk about in regards to work because this is not a zero-sum game. Um, if men are asking for different power structures in their work in regards to uh, work-life balance or being more nurturers at home, then that is going to change the way women uh, are treated at work in regards to their work-life balance. So both liberations are tied up together. And again, it's not like we're, one person is going to lose more power, one person is going to gain more power. No, I think both um, not just both, all genders can gain more power if we start looking out for each other through our community developer. Uh, and this is kind of like the role of Wolfpack in general is to kind of create that community. Um, and it's definitely something I have talked about before. Uh, and it's, it's wonderful to hear Michael actually say those words out loud. Modern Manhood is brought to you by the Edmonton Community Foundation's Well-Endowed Podcast. In its third edition of their special series, It Takes a Community, produced by Hunter and Jacqueline Cardinal of Nahaiwan. In that series, Hunter sits down to chat with prominent Edmontonians to talk about their communities and people that have helped shape them along their journeys. In this specific episode, they hear from Linda Duncan, the longtime member of parliament for Edmonton Strathcona. And Linda tells them about growing up in ravines, her call to environmental law, and how important it is to reach out and engage with your political representatives, whoever they may be. You can find The Well-Endowed Podcast at thewellendowedpodcast.com or just search up the Edmonton Community Foundation. You will find that there as well. This episode of Modern Manhood is also brought to you by Unit B Coworking. Unit B is a multi-company co-working space focused on helping people pursue their passions and making Edmonton its creative best. Join a tight-knit group of freelancers, startups, and established organizations all dedicated to getting things done. Besides desks and offices, Unit B offers members access to its podcasting studio, which I know that's a thing gets recorded out of uh, Unit B co-working space sometimes, and their meeting spaces, as well as, you know, their kitchen, Wi-Fi, and the usual amenities you get from a co-working spot. It's located in the historic McKenney Building on 104th Street and is close to everything in downtown, including the Bay LRT station. You can book a tour today by going to unitb.ca. That's unitb.ca. 
Mega Sharma was our next speaker, um, and she is a recent graduate of the Faculty of Engineering in the University of Alberta. And if you know, especially here in Canada, engineering is a very male-dominated faculty. And so she strives to create spaces where uh, people who are feeling kind of left out or feeling singled out because of the lack of diversity in engineering. So she's creating these spaces uh, so people can be called in to that. Um, and she is working to her best to try to help as many people as possible. Saying that, so she also shares her struggles even through interview processes or ways that she uh, is dressing to go to work or dressing to be hired in this very male-dominated space. So, this is Mega. I graduated about two months ago. Uh, so some of the things I'm going to be sharing is my experiences um, going through university and uh, starting my career. So, when I was... Um, University was very male dominated. I was actually in chemical engineering, which was considered very female dominated, and that's because there was 20% females in it. So a normal faculty, I guess, like in engineering, like mechanical engineering, is around eight to 10%. It hasn't changed for quite some time. Um, so in my second year of engineering, I started a club on campus called Diversity in Engineering, um, because if you look at the stats for engineering and how many women have enrolled in it, it's kind of plateaued in the last couple of years. So um, it kind of peaked a little bit at 20, 25%, and then now it's just kind of plateaued for the last couple of years. So how do we encourage more women to apply into engineering and uh, go into the field? Some of the things that we have done is start a FEM mentorship program. So we started going into high school, started mentoring um, girls that were taking physics, and uh, set them up with females that were in engineering and encouraged them to look into engineering and how to apply for school and um, how to look into the requirements and all that. And uh, through that, I was able to network quite a bit. I got to uh, represent the university at different conferences. So I got to travel to Gender Summit. Um, I um, went to Engines Without Borders for a little bit. Um, and uh, through all that, I did learn quite a bit. So some of the things that I can share are, um, so a story that I usually share is my first ever engineering interview. I was told, you know, you got to dress up really well. You got to wear like the full coat and you got to go in there really prepared. I did my homework. So I wore a blazer and I had like put my hair in a bun and I like wore makeup and stuff and I'd walk into my interview and they're asking me all these questions I'd really prepared really hard for and I thought I was doing really well but I could tell that the person interviewing me wasn't very interested with my answers and was kind of just like going through the questions as fast as he possibly could. So at the end of it I asked him if there's something I could improve on or what I could do in the future to um, be better in my interviews. It was my first ever interview and he said well I just don't think you'd be a good fit for the company. And he kind of like did this with his hands. So I assumed, okay, well, it's because it's a field job and they probably didn't want to consider me for it. Um, and ever since I started really underdressing for my interviews. So some of the things that I've noticed is um, some of my male uh, colleagues might go into interviews wearing full blazers and really nice coats and no one will second guess they can't do field work, right? Or they are not capable of working in um, in a dirty environment, for example. So I had to kind of overcompensate. So I'd always wear, um, actually my, I just graduated from engineering and I I went to Fort Mac for a little bit for my internships. Now I work at uh, Sunny Park, the Edmonton Refinery. And my interview actually walked in um, in safety boots and a safety vest. Um, and they were just like, just super surprised. And I was like, oh, I thought I was applying for a plant job. So I dressed like I was ready to work in a plant. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why I got the job. But um, there's definitely a sense of having to 
kind of prove yourself that you can do the job and that you kind of deserve to be there. So those are some of my experiences. I think a lot is um, in entry-level jobs, you will find that there are women in junior-level engineering positions, but as you go up in leadership, there's little to no representation. So I think one of the things that are really common is that once women do enter the profession, how do we encourage them to get the same kind of experience as the males? How do we encourage them to be getting the same kind of resume, right? So I think that's really important. Um, a lot of times you'll hear, oh, there's women that are the same as equally qualified as men for the same position leadership. But that's very rare. There's very, it's very rare that women will be qualified for the same position leadership, right? So how do we get women to, at that position where they can actually apply for those jobs? How do we encourage them to go for promotions? How do we show them that they have potential, right? So in meetings, if, if I want to say something, but I'm really nervous, I'm going to go to one of my colleagues and say, hey, I might bring up this idea. Do you mind supporting me? Um, or if there is a female in a meeting and she brings something up, I'm going to be like, hey, Sarah, I really liked what you said. Can you repeat that? He said again, can you expand on what you were saying? So um, showing that recognition is really important. Um, so there's some of the things. I think there's a misconception sometimes too that you, you know, you have to be really strong and you have to be a really good advocate to change things in your community, but that's not necessarily true. There's people that are already doing that and you just have, kind of have to be there and support them through it. And that's a lot more important. So when I was starting my organization, my club on campus, um, I was doing a lot of the advocating, but no one really listened to me until I had people that were had my back, right? And they were going to events with me, and they were sticking up with me. So I think that's a lot more important is being that person that supports a person speaking up than it is necessarily to be that person. Any more questions? Yes. Yeah. Oh, um, I grew up actually being a really girly girl. Like, I only wore dresses and I love makeup and hair. Um, but when I got into high school, I realized I loved physics. Um, so I just, uh, my actually my grade 11 teacher, I would stay after class and I'd ask questions about physics all the time and she actually sat me down one day and told me that I'd be a really good engineer. So then in grade 12, I started trying for engineering. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how that happened. So thank God for my teacher. <laughs> Yeah, and that's that's a fair question. I think there's a lot of stereotyping as well, and I think that we kind of fall into that, right? So then you, like for me, whenever I went and talked to young women, I always showed pictures of my confined space entries or pictures of, I only had pictures of me in my blue overalls and my safety boots and stuff. So I think that kind of seeing yourself doing that work in someone else makes you understand you can do it too. Um, and it is intimidating. Like, it is intimidating being around 10 guys that are big and doing that work and um, and then being like, hey, do you want to try it? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it is intimidating. So how do you make that comfortable, right? And it's not just one person. And I think that um, in the mindset, it you just kind of have to be supportive. I guess this mic is not doing so well, hey? <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's just a lot of um, being nervous and it is a lot of intimidation being around guys all the time. And I found, I found that too, um, like having to, like, for example, climb my first cocoa, which is like 40 feet in the air, right? Like that takes forever. And then I see guys doing it and then I was like, well, I'm going to do it, right? But it was really hard because I was slow. I didn't have a lot of experience with it. 
So it took me a long time to feel comfortable and my safety was out really heavy. Um, but then to have someone, you know, like it's not so encouraged, but I guess like just take the time to wait for them to, it might take longer for them to do it, right? Because they might not experience it, but like just take the time to give, I don't know, give them the space to be able to try it and give them the space and the time to be able to try it and get better, I guess. I don't know if that makes, so yeah. Um, I know I definitely have a different personality type, like I'm very determined, um, but I think that having, like stepping out and talking to people one-on-one -on -one helps a lot too. <laughs> so um, instead of necessarily, you know, at work having three or four people tell you the same thing, maybe just take that person out, um, take a minute with them, be like, hey, is there a reason why you don't want to try this and this would really help with their career? I think it would give you a lot of new skill sets and I think that it would really make your progress in the company if you tried this. Um, is there anything I can make you, I can do to make you feel more comfortable? Try calling in, right? Like taking that time and it has to be a space where it's comfortable, a time that's comfortable for that conversation to happen. Um, so does that help? Yeah. yeah. That okay. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like some of the things that I noticed too when I was um, up in Fort Mac was I learned to not complain about work conditions because if I was out working in the field and I was like, oh, it's it's just so cold. I hate being out there. It was like, oh, it's because oh, like you're small, right? Or like, oh, it's you know what I mean and. Like the guys, the operators complained all the time about the condition. That's all they did, right? And it's like no one second gets the fact that they were working out there doing the same things, right? So I learned to not complain about work conditions. Now I like will work in the heat and the cold. I'll just like keep it inside, right? And it's it's not always safe. Like I don't put myself in unsafe situations, but it's it's walking on a tightrope sometimes. Oh, okay. So you asked, I was a girly girl growing up, and if I can still exercise, I guess that part of me at work. Uh. To be honest, no. <laughs> if I'm being completely honest, no. I, I don't go into work wearing a lot of makeup or doing a lot of hair because um, I like I don't want someone to think that I can't go out in two seconds to go look at something. Um, so I don't know. I guess simple answer is no. <laughs> but uh, I still like to go with my friends all the time. So like I'll because I work with a lot of guys all the time. I'll like hang out with my friends on the weekend and do like girl girly things. But yeah, yeah. Um, oof, this is getting really heavy. <laughs> um, I think that, you know, I don't know how much of my personality today is environment versus who I'm supposed to be, right? Either way, um, I'm, I'm happy to be where I'm in my life. So I think that I definitely developed a personality type to, I had to learn how to be able to communicate effectively without sounding too aggressive or too soft, um, dressing a certain way, right? Like being presentable, but not too girly. Um, and uh, not comparing about work conditions. So I mean, like there's just things that you, I guess you learn in the job and uh, and you can't always have to pick and choose your battles, right? You might hear things that, you, that make you uncomfortable, but you just kind of have to, sometimes just being there and uh, doing the work is all you need to make the change, right? So I, I don't really see males as competition. I just, I see the profession really has, has a lot of room for improvement. 
So PEGA, to be an engineer, you have to register with the PEGA, Alberta um, Association for Junior Scientists and Engineers. And uh, they, did, they, studies, they do studies all the time on gender and diversity, and they found that half of the female engineers that graduate from the engineering faculty drop out of the profession within the first five years of entering it. So it's not so much the people or the males that think the profession itself needs to grow and, some, and start, I think, we do put a lot of value on sometimes masculine personalities, right, and masculine traits, and not everyone has those. And um, how do you become recognized without having those? Um, so does that answer your, your question? Yeah. So I did, in second year, I went into chemical engineering, and I specialized in computer process control. Um, so out of the 40 people that graduated in my specialty, I was the sec I was one of the two females. Thank you. Thank you so much. We had some questions for Mega, and uh, that's the the audio that you hear at the very end there of her answering questions from the crowd uh, of how bringing in people in. Unfortunately, we can't get some of those questions on the mic, but you could hear Mega answering those questions as well too. So um, it's a lot to think about in regards to how women are in these male-dominated spaces and how they have to really think about the way that they have to compose themselves or the, the way they even have to dress um, just to feel a sense of fitting in. Um, and I think this is something that we really can work on to, to make our society better into pulling in uh, people who are feeling uh, left out or are feeling like this is something uh, different. And also to look at our implicit biases and to look at our actual how we see our world. Because there is a lens of gender and this is something that we just cannot escape we can't just say we leave gender to the side and say this is not something i'm going to worry about or we are so called like colorblind or gender blind or something like that uh that we always we're going to treat everybody equally um there's got to be a little bit more digging in when, especially in regards to the company that want more diversity or want more uh a breath of people to work for those companies or else you get stuck in the rut of hearing the same thing over and over and over again so companies should have a more diverse policies in regards to gender equity and it's something that we as a community can actually push for for these companies to be better in regards to gender equity and to also create a culture of welcoming for marginalized populations like the one that mega is involved with Dana Francis was our last speaker at Wolfpack, and she's been working in the trades for a long time now here in Alberta. Um, and if you know anything about Alberta, it's a very trades-heavy province. So this is somebody who is a true, true Albertan who has worked in a very male-dominated industry. And in her speech, she notes uh, the struggles that she even has to have just to work day-to-day, -day, like even just to put on protective equipment that is made for male bodies and that even if she had to get protective equipment that is more to her shape that she would have to pay it out of her own pocket while everyone else doesn't have to do that Schultz talks about the plight of motherhood in a male dominated work environment as well as the fear of failing because not only if she fails 
she fails herself, but she also fails all the women in her industry. Tough stuff to hear about, but this is Dana Francis. My name is Dana Francis. I am a Red Seal steam fitter, pipe fitter, apprentice, welder, and mother to a little three-year-old dictator who <laughs> just like loves to tell me what to do. It's awesome being strong-willed and having a strong-willed daughter as well. I was reminded as to why these conversations are just so important the other day when I was at Winners of All Places. There was this little boy and he came up to his mom with this toy and he's like, Mom, I really, can I buy this toy? And the one memory I have is just the look of disgust in her face and she turns to her son and she says, you realize this is a girl's toy, right? Can you go pick out something else? And I just, it kind of reminds me of growing up because I was kind of the girl that liked to play with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the Transformers. I just didn't really fit in. <laughs> so I'm really grateful for all the work you guys are doing because I think these conversations are so important because we need to be bringing everybody to the table. And it's hard to have those conversations, especially like with women in construction trades. We are the minority. Here in Alberta, we represent less than 5% of the industry. So there's a lot of unique challenges that people don't necessarily take into consideration. For example, our personal protective equipment. It's been designed with a certain demographic in place, and that's not tiny old me, although the boys do love me because I can fit in all the tiny spots they can't get into. They're like, oh, where's Dana? <laughs> it can be interesting at work sometimes. But with coveralls, for example, I've never been on a site where I've actually had fitting coveralls. Uh, there's been windy days where, honest to God, I look like a flying squirrel. It's just like <laughs> the guys will joke around and say, somebody tie her down. She's going to blow away. <laughs> it probably could happen, but hasn't yet. And... All joking aside, it is a very serious concern when it comes to safety because when you have excess clothing on you and you're working around moving equipment, it can suck you in. It can take off a limb and it can take your life, which is huge in our industry. So luckily, things are starting to turn around. They're starting to have women's work gear, but it's just not as common. In a lot of places, they just won't provide it. You have to provide it yourself. In my industry, I need to provide all my own FR Coveys if I want to provide my own. So, I mean, that's like $180 for a set of coveys. It's not cheap. <laughs> I've had to buy some FR clothes before. It always kind of breaks my heart a little. I'm like, oh, this is just so I can work in this industry. But I kind of lost my train of thought. <laughs> Sorry. I have found that... You know, I think everybody in this room can probably relate to at least one time in their life where they've kind of felt like the odd person out. So when you are that 5% and you're working and you're learning something new, it's really hard to fail. Because when you fail, people know. Everybody knows. <laughs> and then usually people are talking about it. And then before you know it, you'll accidentally walk in on a conversation where like, oh, did you hear that time when Dana accidentally dropped the... Oh, she's here. <laughs> It is hard, and I can't speak from the experiences of all the women in the trades. Obviously, I'm just one person. It's very chatty and socially awkward. 
But I can tell you that in my time in the trades, I got in back when in 2011, I took a pre-apprenticeship program through Women Building Futures, which really helped open the door. Because honestly, unless you know somebody already in the industry, in your family, it is almost virtually impossible to get in when you're a woman. Because I had so many safety certificates through them and that three months of pre-trades training, and it really helped give me the confidence. And that's the key point to getting more women in the trades is you need to give them the confidence and you need to give them the opportunity to fail. Whereas I feel that sometimes the opportunity to fail is being given more often than not to male counterparts. And yeah, I, oh, sorry. Going back to being a steam fitter, pipe fitter, that's what I did before I had my daughter. And unfortunately, after I had my daughter, I've was unable during our lovely recession to find more work. So that's when I got into being an apprentice welder, which I've been absolutely loving. Uh, But I was pregnant on the work site, and (laughs) it was really interesting because nobody quite knew what to do with me. (laughs) As soon as I got pregnant, it was like a big conversation. And for me, it was all about safety. So as soon as I found out I was pregnant, my husband found out, and then my foreman found out. And then, like, months and months and months later, my parents finally found out. <laughs> my friends found out. It's a really odd dynamic when your foreman is the first person that finds out you're pregnant. <laughs> but they had this little conversation, and they're like, oh, my God, we don't have a policy for this. Where's the paperwork? And they're like, do you, do you want to work in the office? I'm like, no, I want to work on the tools. I've been working on the tools ever ever since I started, like, just let me do what I want to do. And they're like, oh, QC? Paperwork? I'm like, no, just let me be on the tools. And it eventually did result in me in my third trimester being laid off because they didn't want me there. But there is loopholes in the system to discriminate against pregnant women, unfortunately, still. Uh... There's a common thread that are linked between Michael, Megas, and Dana's speeches and stories is the need for mentorship. Dana specifically was talking about women building futures here in Edmonton and how they helped her go into the trades. And she mentioned, if I didn't have that, there's no way I could have done that. There's no way I could have fit into my work. Um, Mega specifically talked about diversity in engineering and how she's created some groups to help those people out. And Michael has also talked about creating this shared version of liberation between men and women and all people of all genders. So this is important when we talk about gendered work, this need for mentorship and this need for lifting people up. It is not a solitary journey it is not a solitary adventure and so when we see those people that are marginalized that are left out that are singled out we need to start helping to lift up and also not only that uh, but to create policies that create more of a welcoming environment for people of all kinds of all body types of all genders of all races and nationalities of all ethnicities of all religions this needs to be more of a welcoming environment because those ideas of careers and work 
are not just something that is a Western ideal that is very much entrenched with anyone around the world. And we have different ideas of what um, gender is around the world. So that is the focus of specifically of Wolfpack. That is the focus of our community as well and around community care. So let's talk about that more often. And let's hear about how we can mentor each other to lift people up. Join us next time where we're going to continue our conversation about masculinity and media. Uh, We're going to talk about woke dudes again. (laughs) We're going to actually go into that topic. So please stay tuned for that. All episodes of Modern Manhood are archived at modernmanhood.org or you can just find us wherever you get any of your awesome podcasts. My name is Henry Vijegas and we'll see you next time on Modern Manhood.